0: Good morning. Good morning. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house among your people. We thank you for your word, which is instructive to us. Uh, give us words to hear what you have to say to each one of us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, this is not a traditional sermon where I open up the Bible. Um, this is kind of um, the outworking of a little bit of my own spiritual journey over the last couple of weeks and months. And so it's, I am going to do scripture, but it's going to be later in the passage. Um, so, yeah, with that. Um, one of my favorite podcasts, and I've been listening to a lot of podcasts as I've been walking lately, um, asks the question what is something that you once believed but later discovered you were wrong about? And I love to hear people's answers they call in with all kinds of things like politics and culture and entertainment and economics and all these things that they thought they understood but then things changed and they, they changed their mind. So I've been really thinking about this question lately um, likely because God has my attention way more because I'm home more. Um, right, we're in this time of pandemic and large shutdowns and huge unemployment and protests and civil unrest. And it's just, I've asked God really earnestly to show me something, too, that I thought I might have known. based on either incorrectly viewing it or biased point of view or any of that. So here's what I came up with, two things. One, on a practical level, I have learned that 100% humidity does not equal rain. I really believed that to be true until I moved to Kansas and um, the struggle is real, people. It's been no joke the last couple of weeks here in Kansas. It's, It's hot. Um, But more importantly, seriously, on a spiritual level, I thought that the Bible presents a somewhat neutral stance on justice. That it doesn't come out and take a stand on either side. Um, I always chalked that up to the whole, the Bible was written in a different time, in a different culture, for different reasons, and we just have to be satisfied and try to interpret it for our time. So um, I started to think through, and it says, sure, it has simplistic instructions. Slave obey your master. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Those are simplistic answers to racism. But then I reflected on things that I've been taught along the way. God's justice is not the same as human justice. And I was like, okay, I can be satisfied with that. So eventually, He's going to make all things right. Okay. And then, consciously or unconsciously, maybe out of intellectual laziness, or just because it was simpler, I just said, well, God told the people of the Old Testament not to intermarry with other peoples because he was setting them aside as his special group, his chosen people. He calls them that. And if they intermarried with other groups of people, that meant that they might take on the customs, or the faith, or the habits of those other people, and God didn't want that. So God sort of taking this people and keeping them separate and pure for himself, I justified as sort of like devotion to him in a religious sense, that God was jealous, and therefore he wanted them only for himself. And I, I became content with that. God has reasons and his ways are higher than my ways and I just sort of said, okay, I guess that's it. And lastly, my idea of the biblical portrayal of justice was largely based on what I understand legal justice to be. Like fairness, like economic justice, like taking care of widows and orphans. That's really kind of what... I came to understand God meant when he said justice in the Bible. So, so that was my, kind of my thinking. But then uh, George Floyd. And Amad Aubrey, And so many others. And protests. And being at home and paying more attention and reading more. And asking God, what is going on? What do you want us to learn? Why are you trying to get our attention about this, my attention about this? And how can I look at things in a different way than I had done before? Not just like intellectually satisfy myself, but like truly deeply understand what God has to say about justice. So I tell you all of that as background to say, what is something that I thought I believed, but later discovered I was wrong about? My answer is I was wrong about what the Bible says about racism and social injustice. It's not neutral. So I wanted to share my study with you so that you too might have the opportunity to think through these things with me. So I wanna start by examining how the Israelites in the Old Testament understood justice. They were indeed God's chosen people. God instructed them to be different and to keep themselves separate from the peoples around them. In Deuteronomy 7, he says, don't intermarry for exactly the reasons I explained. You need to keep yourself pure in your worship of God only. The people were given a leader in Moses who relayed God's commands to them, and he said, you have a choice. He made it very clear, and Joshua then repeated it, and several other people repeated it. You have a choice. Do it God's way, and things will go well for you, or don't do it God's way, and and there will be punishments and bad consequences. So you just have to make a choice. And so the people, the Israelites, came to understand that covenant keeping, keeping God's law, was obedience and justice. And it was a way of keeping God happy. In examining all the laws of Leviticus, in addition to the ones that Pastor Howard read for you this morning and Deuteronomy, that God gave Moses and the Israelites, a broader, more nuanced picture emerged of justice. Justice looks like treating people fairly, like you would want to be treated, and compensating them proportionately if you injure or kill one of their animals. It includes specific instructions about how to treat foreigners within your gates. Leviticus 19.33 says, treat them as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were once foreigners in Egypt. This was a really important kind of aha moment for me because I said, oh, God gave the Israelites this experience of being the persecuted minority or the other or the foreigner that had to rely on the kindness of others so that they would understand what it feels like when they didn't get treated that way. And therefore how God wanted them to act not that way. Because we can't do what we don't know or understand or have experienced i think it's theoretical until it's part of our experience so throughout the biblical history of their occupation of the promised land there were only brief periods where there was relative calm and it was easy and they were not fighting battles with other people groups most of the time they were being threatened by different groups of people canaanites and hittites Philistines, when we do our Wednesday Bible studies, Sandy loves to read all the names of all the different groups because we can't pronounce them and we all have a good laugh together. They had lived in the land before God gave it to the Israelites. And so, rightfully so, they fought for it. And I am ashamed to admit this, but I never really thought about those other people in terms of race or color or ethnicity. Too much. They were just the others, the people that were challenging Israel, and I really didn't give them too much thought or weight. But looking into them, there were important differences. The Canaanites lived in the area that is now parts of Israel, Jordan, Syria, and Lebanon. The Hittites, moved into what is now the country of Turkey. The Philistines were a mixed group of people, mostly from Egypt and North Africa, and Arabs in Palestine. It's a pretty wide mix of races. What people would describe today as Arab or African? Certainly not. How the old flannel boards in Sunday school or the children's Bible pictures made them look. They all were white in those things. And and so I just didn't think about it. And it was misleading. So, not that I hate flannel boards, I hate to faith, it is of flannel boards. Just dating myself. And the Israelites, they did intermarry with those other people. Even though God told them not to, he knew ahead of time that they would. God specifically puts stories in the Bible where several times people who were not Jewish by ethnicity became really important and became grafted into the family of God. See, Rahab the Moabitess, Tamar the Canaanite, Bathsheba the Hittite, and Jonah being sent to save the Ninevites, which on today's map would be in Mosul, Iraq. So, when God later punishes the Israelites because they are disobedient in terms of how they treat other people, when they didn't love their neighbor as and administer justice fairly and take care of widows and orphans and treat the foreigners within their gates with respect, he uses the nations of Assyria and Babylon to punish them. Amos and Zechariah, minor prophets in the Old Testament, had a lot to say about showing justice as a way of loving God. God equates, you don't love me because you don't treat them kindly. And that the Israelites didn't heed the prophet's warnings, this grieves God. Because God is a justice God, and a loving God, and a merciful God, and a compassionate God, over and over and over again. And he wants his people to be as well. As we move through the Bible, In particular, one group, the Samaritans, later become the focus of a lack of compassion by the Israelites. The Samaritans were people when the Assyrians repopulated the land after they were exiled. They intermarried uh, the few remaining people that stayed in the land. So Assyrians married into Jewish people. As a result, the Israelites came to view the Samaritans as kind of ethnic half-breeds, which is kind of unkind, um, impure and dirty. Uh, And they wouldn't associate with them. So the Israelites applied the same separate idea that God had established for religious purity against their own people, people that were partially but not completely ethnically Jewish. So this amounted to discrimination against their own people as foreigners and not treating those foreigners well. And this view lasted for several hundred years, almost a thousand years, up to and including the New Testament time when Jesus had his earthly ministry with his disciples. (coughs) Excuse me. When the Israelites needed to travel from the north of Galilee down to Jerusalem and other cities in the south, there was one problem. Samaria was in the middle. So rather than go a straight line from north to south, they would go way, way, way east. It was like being in the same airspace was distasteful and just not done. You, You wouldn't go and be among the Samaritans and xenophobia. But because Jesus is God, he didn't have this attitude. In fact, on several occasions, we have stories where he specifically chooses to go through and stops and specifically interacts with different Samaritans. You'll recall the woman at the well story and the parable of the good Samaritan where the Samaritan was held up over and above and better than the priest and the Levite because he cared for the person who was injured. That would have been hugely shocking to the disciples and to the audience at the time. Like, we can't really fathom how weird it would have been for him to hold up a Samaritan as the example of what kind of person to be. Because they were dirty half-breeds. So Jesus comes and specifically breaks down cultural divisions and barriers, showing that his kingdom and his people are no longer one ethnicity, but are his chosen people because of how they treat other people. It's not about where you came from, or who your family was, or whether you obeyed the Old Testament laws. Now it's about, do you truly love your neighbor? And love your neighbor as yourself. And your neighbor, as we know from the parable of the Good Samaritan, is anyone, regardless of gender, race, ethnicity, whether or not they look like you, act like you, or whether you even like them. See, because it doesn't say they'll know we're Christians by our circumcision, or they'll know we're Christians by our rule keeping or they'll know we're Christians by the geographic territory that we occupy, or in today's terms, whatever political party we vote for, or a model of scripture we've memorized. That's not how they'll know we're Christians. It says they'll know we're Christians by our love. So that brings me to read two New Testament scriptures to you this morning, and I want you to notice the commonality between them. The commonality, I'll give it away, is the word unity. So the first is Jesus speaking in John 17, 20 through 26. It's Jesus praying for all believers. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me, so he talks about unity. Flipping over to Ephesians chapter 2, you hear from Paul, starting in verse 11. And again, notice the theme of unity. Therefore, remember that you were formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in in which God lives by His Spirit. So did you catch it? The whole reason that Jesus came was to break down barriers of hostility between groups, the in-group, the circumcision group, the Jewish group, and the not-Jewish group, the Gentiles, the other people groups, all of them. Those who didn't have access to the Covenant now had access to God through Jesus. See, because if Jesus was willing to die, to, bring, to you know, bring unity, then the whole purpose that he came for and loved and showed his disciples how to treat one another was to break down walls of hostility, and suspicion, and division. To create one humanity. One group of people instead of two. The whole divide between Jew and Gentile, slave and master, slave and free, it's over. It's no longer helpful. In fact, it's harmful. And it's time is done. Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross says that, that's done. We're done with that. So if Jesus was willing to die to bring reconciliation, why was I willing to live with the old ideas and the status quos and not thinking about other people in the same way? Isn't that kind of like the Israelites in the wilderness longing to go back to slavery in Egypt because it was what they knew and what they were comfortable with? Even though it was harmful for them, wanting to perpetuate that system of the haves and the haves-nots and the ins and the outs, it's not helpful. You've probably heard that expression, we're all equal at the foot of the cross. think that's true. Loving our neighbor means loving and treating everyone as beloved children of God, even the Samaritans, even the Gentiles, of which, by the way, you and I are those people. So Paul says, we were once far away, but have been brought near by Jesus. We were the foreigners. Jesus brought us to God. Even those today who are economically poor, homeless, have PTSD, addictions, even, well, you fill in the blank, everyone. See, there's really no biblical basis for discrimination or racism or favoritism or feeling superior because of education or social status or bank account or access to resources no excuses and i for one did not understand that fully enough i thought i understood what justice meant but i was wrong i am repenting and asking for forgiveness from god for not examining his scriptures more closely on this issue and for letting my middle-class white privilege and 21st century perspective dismiss what the Bible really has to say. So, what do I think God is calling me to do with this deeper knowledge of his justice and his compassion and his cause to, to treat the neighbor well? For me, this looks like a couple of practical things. To be aware of injustice as contrary to who God made us to be not stay silent and perpetuate the status quo of discrimination and xenophobia. I want not to think in terms of us and them anymore. I want to stand with those who are marginalized and discriminated against and to call for change. Not just legal justice, but true heart change that leads to true change. I'm going to read more widely from people of other perspectives to form more friendships and working relationships with people who do not look like me or come from a similar background than me. That's important. And lastly, I really want to welcome the stranger, not because it's the polite thing to do or the nice thing to do, but because God calls us to truly love everyone. Martin Luther King Jr.'s quote, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, is never more true than in this moment. But God has given us a clear roadmap for justice. Love your neighbor as yourself. Would you pray with me? God, we repent for being silent. We repent for not treating others the way we want to be treated. We repent of simplistic and reductionistic other-